and the problem is I think what I was addicted to wasn't the actual like obviously I, I, I genuinely did enjoy like the taste of a glass of wine it was the promise of it it wasn't like the the drinking itself I wasn't physically addicted but it's like the idea that this is going to somehow elevate like or enhance your night and like the promise of that and then you know nine times out of ten it wasn't fulfilling that promise but I still kept trying. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 146. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We're coming up to the home run for our annual Dry January fundraiser. Just 10 days left to reach our target and to help 200 kids to discover the magic of a yoga practice. We've already raised 35,000 rand, which is enough to sponsor 140 underprivileged children for a whole year of yoga and life skills training. So a huge thank you to everyone who's donated. It's not too late to donate and to get 30 days of online and community support for an alcohol-free month. Just go to tribesober.com and click on the fundraiser pick on the homepage. So let's get to this week's podcast guest. Most of our Tribe Sober members are quite mature, like me. They drank socially in their 20s and 30s, and it was only later in life that they found themselves becoming dependent. But now and again, we come across a younger person, and my guest this week is Ellen Newstead, who is still only 31. She was smart enough to realise at a tender age that alcohol was messing up her life and she would be much better off without it. Ditching the booze at 30 changes your future. And that's exactly what Ellen did. Her drinking career was short, but it was intense. And she very sensibly decided to get sober for her wedding, which she did, and she's never looked back. I started our conversation by asking Ellen to introduce herself. My name's Ellen. I'm 31 and I live in southwest of England. I work in an automotive factory, but my passion is really bird watching and now <laughs> sobriety. Awesome. Let, let's dive into the drinking story, shall we, Ellen? Yours is, is quite a short one, but it's quite intensive, if I may say yeah, so. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't, didn't feel too short at the time. Like you, I grew up in the UK and I was also a teenage drinker, you know, into the binge drinking, etc. But I wasn't quite as smart as you. I didn't realise at the age of 30 that I should make a change. Mine went on an awful <laughs> lot longer. So well done for that. I mean, really, your, your whole you. future is going to look different now. I'm sure you're aware of that. It's not significant that I was 30, but it's, you know, it sounds good because it's the start of a new decade. But yeah. the way I saw it, I could, I thought I can do this for another 10 years and not successfully moderate, or I can nip it in the bud now, which sounds simplistic, but I did. That's when I felt I was ready and yeah. there was no point continuing to drink, really. Well done. So smart. So smart. So let's talk Thank about you. your Alco Pops, shall we? Tell us about oh, God. when you started drinking. So um, I wasn't super young. Like I was, I think when I, I probably tried, tried alcohol for the first time when I was 15, I would say. But I wouldn't say like I had more than one drink 
in a go in, until I was 16, 17. And yeah, that was Alcopop, quite a thing. Alcopops manufacturers, I don't even know who makes Alcopops, but they were really no, targeting oh, young yeah, people. I don't know. I'm not sure how they really got away with it because it is just, you can't even but, pretend that's meant for an adult. No, they make it look like a, a soft, fizzy drink, presumably. I yeah, don't know. and it basically is one. one. Like, it, it basically is one. Well, shocking. So, yeah, that was the start, really. I was quite underconfident when I was growing up. The first time I properly drank, I was I thought I'd arrived, basically. Magic I potion. Like, talk I was to people. Saying. Yeah, literally. Like stuff was just like more fun. I was more able to talk to people because I was quite shy. I had like a problem with restrictive dieting for a lot of my teens. I was very much in my shell around eating. Looking back on it now, I feel like it all was the same problem. If that like problems around self esteem. It was fun to me then. I think that's really what happened. That was implanted quite early that this is fun. This makes me feel more confident. I think I chased that like my whole drinking life, really. Yeah. Just just like that nice feeling that came from drinking very little and did feel like a payoff at the time. Chasing the buzz. Yeah. So that was the <laughs> the early. Yeah. Like really. And if it if it could have always been like that, like maybe yeah. you know I wouldn't be. Well, here. I always say but, that uh, drinking's great fun, you know, until it's not. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I, I mean, obviously now we know. I, like I do sit and think, what what was it that I like? Because it must have been something. And I guess yeah, those the early days were fun, and like we were just typically just got our hands on some alcohol and like I thought it was a big laugh and I, I guess it was really but yeah as you say it's, it stops being a laugh quite quickly. And you had a, a period of unemployment when you were about 25 I think and uh, you implied that it went pretty pear-shaped during that period drinking every day. I guess before that I had the early days of drinking and then when I went to university because my drinking had ramped up and I was expecting everyone to be the same as me because you do like it's the uni culture and I thought oh god I can finally sort of I'll blend in because I had been <laughs> drinking like increasingly more and I was really disappointed to find that people wanted to like have a couple of drinks but they also wanted to play a board game and like have a chat and I was are we not, is this it? Like, are we not going to drink more than this? Um, so I was really disappointed to find that it wasn't quite all that. I, th I think, to be honest, I was looking for a crowd that would justify the fact that I wanted to drink every day and, and earlier and earlier. And I mean, I don't think those people thankfully do exist. Like, I've been really lucky that I haven't met myself at that if mm. that makes sense at that drinking mm. stage because like I don't know if I if I'd gone to uni and met f like four more of me living next door things could have been very different so I was very lucky <laughs> that I, I had to maybe not moderate but mediate certainly you're listening to a podcast from tribe sober so in your 20s I think um you enjoyed drinking alone, didn't you? Yeah, so the, I went from the first year of uni, I know that I wanted that crowd just because I would only consider drinking socially. But then in my second year, so <laughs> I got a job in an 80s nightclub, actually, for the weekends. Not, I'm not sure what I thought was going to happen when I got a job in a nightclub, but <laughs> it quickly descended into chaos. And I did find that's when I started drinking on my own like before I went to work like I had to have a couple to make up for what I was missing whilst I was there I'd have a couple before I went out and like that I can pinpoint is really the first time I started drinking alone but that then became after work and also on nights where I wasn't working and my housemate had a, like, she had a different night job and she'd be out. And that's when I, like, noticed I'd started drinking on my own. And that was, like, your standard bottle of wine. It does feel like it escalated really quickly in hindsight. I've never spoken to, like, a therapist or anyone. So I wrote that article that I sent you and, like, mm. I've not, 
I've not really sat and thought about it since like chronologically but um yeah I think I very quickly realized that I would rather have a bottle of wine than uh, than not of an evening and that would be yeah. every single night and like that yeah. was this is like when I was in my early 20s yeah did it worry you or did you just think oh well I'll have a bottle of wine tonight and I had one last night and I'll have one tomorrow it was just in your yes. routine some weeks yes and some weeks I'd be buying the bottle of wine and think I know I'd rather have two I, c- I couldn't get one for today and one for tomorrow kind of thing like they'd <laughs> both go and then there was like a, a, I can remember I, I think I knew it was getting bad when um my housemate had some alcohol in the house, which wasn't even wine. It was like this disgusting alcohol pop again um, that she had been given from the club she worked at because like they were like, these are going out of date. I text her and said, can I buy them off you? So I'd have something else to drink. And I've been drinking like dry white wine. So this isn't on the same playing field. It's not like, oh, I'd like another glass of wine. I just wanted more alcohol. <laughs> and like thinking back to now, like t- texting my housemate to be like can I buy these disgusting alcohols off of you like the next day I was that's not that's embarrassing like that's not that's not right (laughs) I know I wasn't drinking on my own the year before that so I'd say that went like ramped up really quickly like drinking on my own I met my now husband in my second year of uni I I thought because I went to uni in London I kind of thought I'll meet someone and I'll stay in London um, he lives in my hometown, so I actually met someone and moved home again. Um, that was my illustrious London career over. Um, so I, I moved back after I finished uni and I've by his side ever since. Um, so that was kind of the end of drinking alone. But he is incredibly easygoing. And if I said, well, oh, we're going out for drinks, like he would go for drinks. Basically, fast forward to a couple of years later, I've moved home and I, I ended up leaving like the job I was doing. Basically, poor mental health. I was, um, I was doing like a care job and didn't go into another job. That's, yeah, I had a, I think I was unemployed for like six or seven months. And I'd been going to the pub after I finished my shift, like religiously. Um, and that includes if I finished at like 11 o'clock in the morning for company but obviously also to drink and I would sit and talk to literally anyone and it's so funny because you see these people now the the sort of outcasts in in town and like that sounds terrible but just people where you think oh like they don't look all right like they're talking to strangers and you know they just don't they just say they just don't they don't look all right like they look like they're struggling but that was obviously who I was in that time. Yeah, so I'd been going to the pub after work. So I just started going to the pub. Like, I wasn't working anymore, so I was just going to the pub. (laughs) And this is the place we went every weekend, like, as a group of friends. I was just doing that on my own, basically, because that was, like, where I would see people. Because my my husband, like, was working. He was at work, like a basically normal citizen in the day and I was off just trying to find someone to bloody talk to and that what, sort of what were you drinking in the pub Ellen Out of cider, cider cider yeah okay. pints of cider I was like quite quite hardened by then I feel I was 25 and honestly like when you take a step back you just think god that was not a good time at all but at the time you're just like well I just you know, I know this person's going to be there because he goes in when he finishes work or like these people might drop in. And I just genuinely didn't have a routine and just wanted to like be around people. And like, yeah, that well, was you, the, you were treating it as space. a social club. It was That's just rather sweet sort of... as long as there wasn't too much, too many pints of cider involved. So I was spending a lot of time in the pub. I also met someone who's house I could then go to after I'd left the pub after I'd run out of money or whatever and essentially just drink more so I spent a lot of time there and like they just let me crash there as well I ended up like drinking in sleeping there waking up the next day drinking in the morning and like this went on for a few months like so that was probably like that was the the worst point but what, what about your boyfriend 
What about your boyfriend when you didn't come home at night? He, honestly, I don't know what on earth he thought was happening. Things were very dysfunctional. Um, My parents had also separated at that time. I think my mum probably thought I was at my dad's. My dad thought I was at my boyfriend's and my boyfriend thought I was at my mum's. And I was in none of those places. Um, (laughs) And honestly, it got to the point where I was waking up and I wasn't sure which of the four I was at either. Yes, so that was, they were the bad times. Um, so presumably you, you got a job after that. You managed to get a job that's and exactly that changed everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Yes. Yeah, I got a job and I work, I still work there. And I do shift work. I either work six till two, like six in the morning. So obviously there's not much scope for drinking the night before <laughs> if you're getting up at five. Or I work late, which is till 10. So that straight away, like, moderated to an extent. Um, And then that's when my drinking sort of became the weekend binge drinking cycle again. And that continued for, like, four years until until I stopped. Did you used to make rules at all? Did you used to think, I'm not going to drink in the week, I'll just drink at weekends, or I'm only going to have two glasses of wine tonight? Did you go through that nonsense (laughs) that a lot of us did? I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely did the weekday thing. I think that's like where we all start, isn't it? But then that becomes, well, obviously Friday, like nobody doesn't drink on Friday. Then that creeps into Thursday and you're back at square one. But um, in terms of like the glasses, I think it would have just been a, bo- a bottle of wine. So, but that's still, I think we all know that like two glasses of wine pro- possibly seems okay, but a bottle of wine is too much. So mm. I, d- I don't think I, I was either drinking or I wasn't like, I don't think I really made a rule around like the amount. And it's like when people say to you now, like, oh, can't you just have one or two? And it's like, I never wanted to have one or two. No, <laughs> like, not. I don't even want to What do would that be now. the point? Why would that? <laughs> exactly. No, they don't um, get it. It's only people that aren't dependent on alcohol that would ever dream of saying that to you. It's like, they can don't you get have it. one square of chocolate? No. Yeah, <laughs> and nor yeah. do you want to. Yeah, so that basically, um, I, I guess, like, around COVID, I was... I was drinking at home a lot. In your um, pub. Talk talk to us about the pub oh that made God. me smile. In your spare room. <laughs> it's so bad, isn't it? It was um <laughs> I, Oh God, it's quite awful. I'll, I'll send you a picture. Like we had beer mats, we had all the um oh, all yeah, the paraphernalia. We had a sign. We we actually did. Like I thought I was so cool. <laughs> So basically, it was, we knew lockdown was coming. As I say, we don't have a garden. We live in a top floor flat. And I think it's quite creative, really. It's just it sort of went towards something that wasn't great. It was the idea of not being in our flat when we were always in our flat was actually really comforting. It's just that the the place of comfort that obviously sprang to mind, even after all those like dark years of being in the pub all the time and being really unhappy <laughs> the um the place of comfort I designed yeah. was essentially an at-home pub and do you know what I don't know how it was for you but it was when everyone was saying oh I'm, I'm like I'm drinking so much less in lockdown and I don't think I think I was drinking more because we would used to go to the pub like before they were shut but I would be drinking before and after so I was just I was probably I was probably drinking the same amount in lockdown, if not more. And what about we your were... boyfriend? Because you were living with him then during lockdown. Yes, yeah. So he he used to come to your home pub as well. When I got the job, we moved in together six months later. So the sort of nomadic lifestyle, thankfully, came to an end as well. Yeah. We were obviously both living out of each other's parents' houses. So that really settled things as well. But um, yeah, we were both like, shall we go to the pub at like five o'clock? Probably five o'clock. And we were quite strict around, literally, we were not, we're not going in that room. And t- so we even made like pub, pub style rules, like we're not <laughs> going in. It was obviously our, our spare room. We're not going in there. And 
until we've done so we were doing like exercise videos basically trying to have a routine when you're not leaving your house but um yeah we were drinking a lot in there on the weekend we could like order you could order from like the the actual pubs big containers of cider like they and they'd like drop it off around your house oh no they don't miss an opportunity do they yeah so that was that was lockdown we were like allowed out again and i think that's when i realized actually this is still the same problem so like the second we were allowed we were allowed in beer gardens first i know we were allowed to have a pint with food first it's always like the country knows what the problem is but it's not gonna actually say it (laughs) essentially the government saying we know you're all gonna go and get wrecked so like now you're allowed to so make sure you have something to eat but also not saying that because then we'd have to actually look at our country's relationship with alcohol so yeah we were back in the beer gardens I had finally like the amazing first pint which was actually just obviously a standard pint of cider which I've said I was craving for so long like I can't wait till we can go and have a pint again Uh, I had one pint and then was like straight back on the wine I've been drinking throughout lockdown anyway I think the first three times we went out, I ended up in blackout. Essentially just being excited to get back to the pub, massively overdoing it. Yeah. And um and yeah. this is the thing, like I've I've never gotten any better at drinking. I've never um I think I could I could drink like for longer times, but I, I don't think my tolerance has never been such I could end up in blackout quite easily. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. I used to have a lot of blackouts, yeah. And I identify with you then when you said I was just so excited because that was my thing, you know, I was just so enjoying myself sometimes. I just, yeah. I just overdid it. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't this is it and like I never throughout any of it like I never had any ill intention I just really like yeah. drinking I think it literally was as at one at some point in my teenage years alcohol you know when you, you finally turned 18 or you, you're 17 you've got your hands on some that equaled fun for me yeah and after that I couldn't have one without the other so f- I think from from honestly the first time I drank that was how I had fun now and like that never stopped yeah obviously um, the fun stopped but that's what I was looking for every time I drank we have these kind of limiting beliefs don't we that um we can't possibly have fun without alcohol I mean I was like that when I gave up I had to actually go out sober and socialize for months before I got the hang of enjoying myself no because it's so deep you know this thinking well alcohol equals fun you know how do I have fun if you take the alcohol away and the problem is, I think what I was addicted to wasn't the actual, like, obviously, I, I, I genuinely did enjoy, like, the taste of a glass of wine. It was the promise of it. It wasn't, like, the the drinking itself. I wasn't physically addicted. But it's, like, the idea that this is going to somehow elevate, like, or enhance your night and, like, the promise of that. And then you know nine times out of ten it wasn't fulfilling that promise but I still kept trying (laughs) that's what I didn't want to let go of the idea that it's it is going to be as fun as it looks in the adverts or you know I am going to have like a great night like that's sort of what I was looking for like that's if I ever drank when I was going out and I think yeah that's that's what I didn't want to let go of like the the promise like the basically the false promise of alcohol like not the reality the reality I've been bored of for sometime by the time I quit and like that's really what informed my I I thought you know what I can't I'm looking forward to these like big events and I can't even really remember them and like there was the constant threat of blackout or doing something stupid and I just thought you know what this just isn't even fun I'm not even enjoying this like no part of this am I enjoying yeah that's sort of when I realized I think I'm actually ready to 
tried not doing this anymore. In that article, Ellen, you wrote about a lost weekend, something to do with burnt hair or oh, burnt goodness. food or something. Oh, <laughs> was oh that God. Like your rock bottom, really. It was the last weekend that I drank, hmm. but it was one of sort of a string, uh, like an Orion's belt of three hideous weekends. We had our first weekend away post lockdown. Me and my then fiance, we did a bottomless brunch. I don't know if you have that. Yeah, in I know South what you Africa. Mean. <laughs> but yeah, essentially, I think I've got a photo of the receipt, and we had like something like fifty drinks, like between us, and it's just prosecco. We'd we'd booked it for like eleven, no half eleven in the bloody morning. When you, I think bottomless brunch is like the new alcohol pops. Like it's more expensive, but it's like that's definitely like the new fun thing because they are everywhere. Like I kid you not, I've seen like a pie shop that's now offering a bottomless brunch. Like everyone's doing it. And I think that probably was born of you have to have a meal to have a drink because you yeah. could get away with buying a, you, you get like some food then you can drink unlimited for two hours. So we and went there's, to this there's something and... also about the bubbly, don't you think? Especially for the women. Think. Totally. Nothing hardcore. It's all alcohol. No, exactly. It's all ethanol. It's all... Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, it looks good on Instagram. Like, we've, we've probably got a flower wall behind us, so it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so long story short, we did that. We were getting, like, kicked out of, a standard pub at like four in the afternoon and I never got kicked out of anywhere like we just you know we just went so sort of oh my god we're allowed back out crazy I was in definitely in blackout by that evening we like missed a dinner reservation oh wow this is the story we got we got back to the hotel must have been like seven o'clock in the evening (laughs) my husband doesn't even know this I ordered, I tried to place two orders to Papa John's pizza, which totaled £150 and then passed out. And thank God they refunded me the money the next day. But when I came to the next day, I had a receipt for £150. God only knows what I was trying to order. And this was probably wrong one, to be honest. So towards the end, I always say, like, it's not like something really bad was happening every time I drank, but there was absolutely always that possibility. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there was another weekend, like, I went out with a friend. Um, I've admitted to her recently that I hadn't, like, I met her the Saturday morning and I hadn't been to bed on the Friday. Like, I'd been up all night, quote, unquote, partying. Yeah, so that that weekend, that was the weekend I, like, left my wallet on the bus it was it was just really getting out of control yeah. and I was thinking like like I said I was just thinking this isn't fun and this isn't how I want to look like this doesn't feel like who I am or who I meant to be and yeah the final weekend of the burnt hair thing like we finish work on if we're on the earlier shift we finish at one on a Friday we went to the like the actual pub like to do some wedding planning and then, like, some people walk, like, some our close friends came, so they came and sat with us for a bit. And then some people that knew them turned up. And, like, basically, more and more people kept turning up. And it just turned into, like, what was going to be a couple of hours became, like, probably seven, eight hours of drinking. Like, we'd got paid. We ended up, like, set up, buy drinks for everyone. Like, literally spending, like, Papa John's money <laughs> on one round of drinks definitely blacked out and then the next morning I think I must have gone because I I, like smoked a lot but all the time I drank I smoked a lot and tomorrow I haven't had a cigarette for a year (laughs) thank you but yeah I'd absolutely set my hair on fire and I could smell that the next morning and it was yeah that weekend I didn't quit that day but I did quit two days later and that oh, well was, done. yeah, that well was done. the last straw. Thank you. I don't think, I didn't know I was, that was day one. I was definitely questioning it at that point. I think I was just 
just seeing if there was any way that this could possibly still be fun. Like, I really think I was just clinging on. To, oh, no, maybe that is still what I like. But it, it absolutely was not. Like, there was just nothing. There was there was no amount I could drink. that I wasn't going to feel like I did when I first started drinking again. No. You know, that, no. And having obviously read and into the actual effects of alcohol that's that's true on like a scientific level yeah. um, that train had left the station yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> with bells on and like I thought this I'm not gonna you know that there was just no upper limit it was just time and in between those weekends which is actually probably why they're quite so catastrophic I had been essentially trialing like periods of sobriety Mm. so sort of I think I was doing like 18 seems to stick out days at a time which would obviously like in that time would be two weekends even in that time I was like oh my god like I I feel so different and I was losing even in like even in the the 20 or so days I was like my body was changing and I'm hesitant to just like to make it about weight loss because, you know, it's it's not not everyone would lose weight. And, you know, I, I wouldn't want to discourage anyone <laughs> for they were doing it for those reasons, because it, that's not at all what it's about. But, um, yeah, like in these 22 days, like obviously my sleep improved and I just felt so much better. And I think it was just those little stints that yeah. really sh- like showed me, oh, there actually is this is possible and I was I was coming to the end because I'd I'd be stopping for like a particular event so like that weekend away with the bottomless brunch that probably I I think that was the first time I drank in three weeks I was stopping the sober stretch Mm. like for that specific event and I found you know you get like anxiety Mm. like after you've drank a lot I found I was getting that anxiety in the in the actual run-up to the drinking so wow. I, I was getting yeah. nervous about what, like, not, oh, God, what have I done? But what might I do? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. Um, so, yeah, like, what what might happen before I'm even drinking? And that's I, that's when I realised, yeah. oh, God, this is it, isn't it? Like, I'm quitting drinking. Because there, there, no there was no other door yeah. to open, really. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com. That's janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. So the big question, Ellen, how did you do it? I embarked on another one of those stints and I haven't yet stopped. Oh, so it's a sober stretch that goes on and on. Excellent. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I just, what I did, I downloaded uh, the Sober Girl Society handbook by Millie Gooch because I knew I was interested. I don't think I was like quite yet ready to go, right, I'm quitting drinking. Like, that's what this is. But I was sort of, di- I was like peeking behind the curtain so I downloaded this book that was on the last day that I drank and then the next day got up went to work this is after the burnt hair weekend and I listened so um we can listen to like we can have headphones at work so that's how I've been listening to your podcast all day um so yeah I listened to the audiobook like in a shift and like Millie's my age, like I think we've got a couple of a few months between us. And like, that's really what made the difference is hearing somebody like a, a counterpart, like a sober counterpart, I guess you could say, because she talks like practically about like bot- bottomless brunches and like how to navigate a festival or, yeah. you know, like the it's very applicable to like the stage of life that I'm at. And like, that's why. I think it's very important to have like that kind of representation because Mm. much as I absolutely loved the unexpected joy of being sober at the same time I was at quite a different period of my life so listening to Sober Girl Society got me started because 
yeah I could just apply it to like yeah. myself that bit yeah. more easily yeah so I think we all there's... we need a, a sober role model don't we we need yeah, to look totally. at someone and think well she's quite cool she seems to have yeah a nice and it is it's literally about life. making it cool I think yeah. like yeah. especially for younger people the the big thing was and I know you always talk about mindset like I said I was I was waiting I was I stopped waiting not to have any plans so I had obviously my wedding coming up I had and um, what comes with that like the Hindu the honeymoon and I was I can't not drink for that like that's you know, and I basically I stopped saying I can't not drink at these things and said what if I try not drinking at these things yeah you and like these a challenge yeah, and like these were the hurdles. Like these were like the the gig, the first my first night sober night out. Instead of becoming another reason to put off quitting, like the mythical date when I was going to quit, it became my first challenge. Yeah. And like honestly, that made it literally was just saying, "What if you do?" Instead of, "I can't possibly because X," because. <laughs> I'm not the most social of people, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to have at least one thing a month that I would have once drank at. And now yeah, it's just yeah. about approaching that differently. So, yeah, asking those questions, like, what, what if I tried? And those sober it. firsts, the sober firsts, yeah. so, so important. Your sober first gig, you know, then, and then obviously sober first wedding. Let's hope it's the only wedding. <laughs> Yeah, like that's a, that's a funny one. So I am um, I'm in the very uh, preliminary stages of writing a book, and oh, I'm working title my first sober because I had a lot of thing. No one steal that, <laughs> but I had um, a lot coming up. So like we went to we had a gig, we went to Reading Festival for the day, we went to a wedding reception. And this was all sort of in my first three. And then we, I got married. And this was in my first three months of sobriety. And I'm like, I'm not cancelling these things. What about your boyfriend stroke husband? Was he drinking when, now that you've stopped? How does that work? So, as I said, like we, we drank quite, a, we used to drink a lot together. And I think that also had to do with like the fact we were in our 20s. He now he still enjoys one or two beers, so yeah, he's still he's he's incredibly supportive. I, I don't want to say I couldn't have done it without him, but it would have been a lot harder. Like all my friends have been fantastic, and like I said, I never really found what I was looking for in the sense of someone people that mirrored my drinking. So luckily, I was coming down to the level of those around me like I I didn't I didn't lose a lot of friends because I didn't have those friends that wanted to drink as much as me in the first place uh so yeah the support's been there the whole time I bet that morning that you woke up the morning after your wedding you must have been so happy and pleased that it wasn't one of those but you would you would have had a blackout after your wedding I'm sure if you were still drinking and And that's what really spurred me on, like in the, like I said, when I quit, I had three months to go. And the question actually became not how can I not drink at my wedding, but how the hell did I think I was going to? So we've recently had a a family wedding and where I sort of revealed that I had actually been sober at hours to to like um, one of my in-laws. And she said, um, oh, you wouldn't have had time to drink, though, like like you, you know you would have just been so busy and I thought this is where we differ because I would <laughs> we can have always find time, time yeah. yeah I w- well, I wouldn't have found time to probably talk to my family or spend the day with my new husband like I would have found time to drink believe me <laughs> um we had just the best day and like if anyone thinks that they're not going to dance again I think you're I truly think you're more self-conscious when you drink because you think you have something to hide whereas like for me because I like I knew I was more in control and I was just so much happier like dancing came so much more naturally to like I'm not saying I was any good 
but um yeah dancing came it so felt good that's, easier that's up, yeah. like sober than what I ever would have done like drunk oh, and it, it was just such a great day and you know what I also remember my honeymoon I remember yep. choosing my rings because alcohol just soaks through into all of the wedding preparation if, yeah. if you let it this would have started days before so it wouldn't have just been the wedding day that was I'm gonna say ruined it would have been the whole week would have been but what do you mean we're not opening another bottle I'm getting married <laughs> and the whole yeah. thing would have just been a bloody excuse to drink and and then after that you know you would have been consumed probably with regret and guilt I've and then of course you'd have to drink to to chase those yeah completely away. Yeah. and and obviously the flip side of that is it's a major thing it's probably even as a child you know you're going to have champagne at your wedding having done that quite early on you can pretty much do anything if you don't drink at your own wedding absolutely that's not to say that there weren't like moments of me going oh my god (laughs) everyone's having cocktails it's it just depends what you want to prioritize really but you're so right you know to think of that day as you know if i can get married with sober then you know I can do pretty much anything so like it really we always say that sobriety is like a superpower you know if we can get sober we can do pretty much anything in life and that's a lovely feeling and I think that's what people that are maybe tentative to start like need that's why I would really recommend doing like a like a short time if you just do a short time do a short time because I think realizing that you can do it along with like the physical benefits of having some time off alcohol, like makes you realize that it is possible and actually that it's not horrible. I think there's quite a lot of misconception around like, how am I going to have fun again? Or will I be boring? But I think if you really look at, if it's like, if you're talking about heavy drinking, what's fun about that? You know, what could be more boring than never saying yes to anything because you're prioritizing drinking? Like, I think you just need to reevaluate what you think fun is and what you think boring is. It's certainly not what I expected. This is not how I thought sobriety would be. This is so much more. I think Um, people say that all the time, you know, and uh, I've never heard anyone say, oh, I wish I hadn't stopped drinking. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. My sober anniversary is actually July, so I'm nearly oh, at 18 okay. months now. Congratulations. Uh, thank give me, you. Give me your top benefit if you had to choose just one. It's like losing tunnel vision for alcohol. I enjoy all the things that used to feel like they were getting in the way of drinking. It's like that's been lifted and I can see everything else that other people enjoyed and like take part fully in in life. Whereas before, I just felt like I I was impatiently just waiting to drink. It's opened up your life, really, because we completely our our world gets very narrow if we depend on alcohol. All we're interested in is the next drink. (laughs) Exactly. And like, for example, I've just met my... um, because of covid they live in america i've just met my two young nieces for the first time like we went to visit them in america this is a fortnight ago and like on reflection that would have been an absolute white knuckle when can i drink trip like once i was able to fully enjoy every moment and like i can't wait to return because it was about the children and like the bedtime stories I want to do so much more and I am doing so much more than just bloody drinking. And like, that's what's boring in the end, turning down everything else for drinking. Thanks so much for the share, Ellen. And well done. Let's pull out some key points. Like many teenagers, Ellen was quite shy with self-esteem issues and she found that alcohol helped her relax and have fun. She enjoyed the buzz and was soon chasing that feeling. Her first experience of drinking was Alcopops, which are between 4 and 8% alcohol. If you listened to last week's podcast, you will have heard marketing expert Nigel Jones explain how we are all groomed by the alcohol industry to drink alcohol from a very early age. We are groomed to be their lifelong customers. 
Of course, the alcohol industry have a problem at first because alcohol tastes unpleasant to a first-time drinker. So they get round this problem by flavouring the alcohol pops to taste like cola or lemonade. And teenage girls are particularly vulnerable to the harmful effects of alcohol pops. And drinking before the age of 18 will increase the likelihood of dependence as we get older. When she thinks back to those years of teenage drinking, Ellen realises that for her, fun and alcohol became so closely linked, she just couldn't imagine one without the other, a situation that continued for the next decade. I think for many of us, alcohol is perceived as the gateway to fun, and Ellen talked about the false promise of alcohol. Millions of us bought into this false promise and it took me decades to realise that alcohol is just 10% ethanol and 90% marketing. The fun comes from the people you're with and what you're doing at the time. When Ellen went off to uni, she was expecting to find lots of other enthusiastic drinkers like herself. But she soon realised that not many of her contemporaries were in her league. She was the ringleader always the one wanting to make every social event about drinking. By her second year at uni, she'd found a weekend job in a bar and had started to enjoy drinking alone, at work and at home. By her early 20s, a bottle of wine a night was the norm. She went through a period of unemployment when she was 25 and that was when she totally lost it, as she puts it. She treated the pub as a social club and went there every day. She met someone who invited her to his house to continue the drinking and sleep over if she needed to. She would often drink to oblivion and wake up not quite knowing where she was. She would lie to her boyfriend and parents about where she'd spent the night. Fortunately, Ellen got a job which put some kind of structure into her life, so her drinking was then confined to weekend binge drinking. Then came Covid, so home drinking became the norm as the pubs were closed. As she no longer had access to the pub, she recreated her comfort zone in her spare room. A home pub, complete with beer mats, signage and bar snacks. The pubs were busy delivering containers of alcohol to people's homes so the drinking could continue in spite of lockdown. As the UK gradually opened up again, drinking was allowed in the outside areas, in the beer gardens. Ellen was so excited by this development that she drank to blackout the first three times she went to the pub. In spite of this, she maintained she wasn't physically addicted. Her addiction was more psychological. And if you listen to Tribe Sober podcast episode 48, you can hear Molly Watts explaining why only 10% of dependent drinkers are physically addicted. For the rest of us, it's psychological. Ellen began to hover around rock bottom. She lost her wallet, she lost a weekend, she was refused service in a bar. More importantly though, she was beginning to lose patience with the chaos that alcohol was bringing to her life. That constant threat of blackout or doing something stupid was wearing her down. She was coming to the conclusion that alcohol was taking away an awful lot more than it was delivering. After three boozy weekends which she describes as hideous, she decided to quit completely. She didn't even contemplate moderation, so unlike many of us, she didn't have to waste years in the moderation trap. When she decided to quit, she was just 30 years old, with a wedding coming up. She told her friends and family, and the fact that nobody questioned her decision would indicate that they all realised that Ellen had a drinking problem. She'd been scrolling Instagram and was excited to find a vibrant, diverse sobriety community with lives like hers, but all the better for not including booze. She did a few sober stretches and started to sample the benefits of sobriety. She found a sober role model in Billy Gooch. Millie is the same age as Ellen and explained things like navigating festivals and bottomless brunches, 
Cleverly, she didn't bother to wait for the perfect date when she had no plans. After all, she always had plans. She was fully aware that there is never a perfect time to stop drinking and that she had to do it now. Ellen began to work on her mindset. She treated every event as a challenge. And rather than saying, I can't, she started to say, what if I try? She started to realise that fun was more about who she was with than what she was doing. She started to see through that false promise of alcohol. She started to question various aspects of her drinking and began to see a pointlessness in it. Ellen was sober for her wedding and honeymoon and remembers every wonderful moment. Well done, Ellen. You can follow her on Instagram at the Sober Crow. I'll put the link in the show notes. So let me end with a member message from one of our chat rooms. This is Danielle from Canada. I'm avoiding social situations for now until I feel more grounded in my new alcohol-free life. At the risk of disappointing people, I decided to do whatever it takes to protect my sobriety and get back my power, my freedom, my health and my dignity. I feel so sad to think of the enormous amount of time I spent in a fog, hungover, sick, with my mind hijacked by the constant thought of alcohol instead of really living my life to my full potential. So if not now, when? If not now, there might not be any more time. Life is so precious and I've wasted too much of it already. I want to heal my body, my mind and my soul as much as I can from all the damage that this addictive substance alcohol has caused. Thank you, dear tribe friends, for all your shares and support. I couldn't do this on my own. I've fallen a thousand times, but I never gave up. And finally, I found you guys. Oh, that's a beautiful post. Thank you, Danielle. If you're looking for a non-judgmental community who will support you through the highs and lows of this life-changing journey, then please hit tribesober.com and click on Join Our Tribe. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.